0: Christmas is meant to be a time of joy, isn't it? But when I was growing up, nothing would sap all of the joy out of Christmas Day than when my parents every year came to me and said, right, it's time for us to go for our Christmas Day walk. As a boy growing up, I could never understand why on Christmas Day, the greatest of all of the days, you would do something as mind-numbingly boring as going for a walk. And it always seemed to be precision-timed to cause me maximum pain. We had just unwrapped all of our presents. I was deciding which toy I was going to dive into first, and those dreaded words would come, right, we're all going to go and get some fresh air. (laughs) I don't need fresh air, I've got toys. We did it every single year. And to be honest, I am not convinced that anybody in my family actually wanted to go for a walk, (laughs) but we did it. And we did it because we always did it. It's what we'd always done. And it's these kind of things that define Christmas, right? The traditions, the things that you don't even really like doing, but they become your rhythms. They almost become your rituals of what you do. And you do it every time, and you go through it, and it becomes ingrained over time. And it's a large part of what makes Christmas special, isn't it? Is as the rest of our lives are in constant and rapid change, it almost seems like Christmas is that one space that we try and protect. And we're like, no, 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 I want to keep that unchanged. I want to keep it rhythmic. I want to keep it constant. And yet, of course, despite our best efforts at trying to keep it the same, we cannot avoid the disruption. All of us know two years ago, Christmas Day, in the height of the pandemic, it was a complete shadow of what it normally is. And this year, for millions in our country, the one of the things that has been an absolute constant, a kind of cornerstone of Christmas Day that has stayed the same for decades and decades and decades, a defining feature, is in some ways going to be exactly the same, and yet it's going to be completely different. That for the first time in most of our lifetimes here today, at 3 p.m. on Christmas Day, the BBC, they're not going to be broadcasting a Queen's speech, but instead it's going to be the King's speech an unavoidable change to tradition, a disruption for many of how things have always been, a new reign, a new king, the arrival of a king, and a sense, however small that might be for you, of disruption to what is normal. And that is exactly what we see happening in the first Christmas, in the passage that Gallant's just read out. We see the normal way of things being disrupted by the arrival of a new king. And the text that Gallant read out actually works to try and highlight some of that disruption to us. It begins by saying, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah. And then it says this, in the days of Herod, the king. And so it's wanting to point out to us already that there is already firmly in place, before the birth of Jesus, a king of the Jews, a traditional king, if you like, an established order and structure. But it goes on, behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Into this established kingdom, the pattern of life that they're used to, comes this disruptive claim. A new king has been born. And you get a sense, even at the beginning here, that this is not just the arrival of any ordinary king. These wise men who come inquiring. These are not locals to the area. So that means that they are not part of the kingdom of Israel. They are from the east, we read, which means they're probably from Persia or Arabia, maybe even as far as India. And so what it means is that who is king all the way over there in Jerusalem would not normally have any relevance at all to their lives. It has no impact on, who they, on how they live. Almost certainly these wise men were astrologers and what it seems like happened is as they were looking in the sky as they normally would, they have seen something, a star rise up we read, that bright, compelling we can imagine, extraordinary in some way and they interpret it to mean this means a new king of the Jews has been born. And this is news that they could so easily do nothing with. He's not the king of our land. He's all the way over there. But it's clear from the sense in which they respond that they are getting an idea that this is not just any normal king. That maybe this is news for us all the way over here. It's worth us traveling hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles, day and night, sitting on camels, to go and meet him for ourselves. And you get a sense of the expectation that they have as they go to see this new king when they arrive in Herod's palace. And they say, we have come to see this new king and we have come to worship him. Notice that. They don't say, we've come to see this new king so that we can pay tribute to him or we've come to see this new king so we can congratulate him or even we've come to see this new king so we can suck up to him and try and get a cozy job in his courts. No, we've come to worship him. Now I know for all of us having a king is a new thing but this is not a normal behavior when you see a king. If you do tune in for the king's speech on Christmas Day, when you see King Charles on the TV, please do not do this. Don't find yourself bowing down and worshipping before him. But they just know that they have been drawn all the way over here not to meet some ordinary king. And we see it as their anticipation continues to build through that, that narrative, that they set off towards Bethlehem and the star appears again and it starts to move in the sky and it comes to rest over this one house, and the wise men at this point, they know it's on, here it is, this is the place that we've been looking for, and they cannot contain their excitement as they go, before they go into this house. You might have caught it in the reading that they, in verse 10, before they go in, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, this is Bible speak, for they have just lost their minds with excitement and anticipation of all that is that they are going to find in the house. And actually, for us looking from the outside in on the situation, we think this is set up for classic Christmas disappointment. Because these men, they seem like kids at Christmas, just like totally hyped up, totally carried away with the anticipation of all that they might find in this house. And we think as we look, Guys you're in Bethlehem, that like, you weren't moved at all by Herod and the finery of his palace. You're about to enter into that house, that very small house, where you are going to find two very poor people holding a very ordinary baby, that like, surely you haven't come all this way, full of anticipation and excitement, searching for a king unlike any other. For that. And yet, from the moment that they arrive, they find just what it is that they've been looking for. Verse 11, And going into the house, they saw this child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Doesn't just worship, they don't just worship as they said they were gonna, they fall down and worship. This is not just them paying their dues, not them going through the motions with the polite level of respect and reverence. This is unrestrained, can't help themselves, totally taken in the moment, bowing down and adoring this child that has been held in a mother's arms. It is the most extraordinary of scenes. I mean. I'm not quite sure what you are meant to do as a parent when people that you don't know, that you haven't even invited over, have come into your house to meet your baby, which is a slightly awkward dynamic anyway. And the first thing that they do—don't they introduce themselves, don't say hello, don't ask how you know early stages of motherhood have been—they just fall down and start worshiping your child. Like, what do you do? Anybody like a drink? Leftover Christmas pudding? (laughs) There is nothing about this setting that would seem to provoke these men to make this kind of response. There's no palace, no throne, no crown. And yet, as soon as they enter into the presence of this child, they just know, here is the king. That we are in the presence of true majesty, true authority, true power. And they bow down and they start handing over gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gifts that the Bible describes as if to fully underline the point that it's trying to make that are fit only for a king. From these first moments of Jesus' life, in this Gospel of Matthew, this historically verifiable eyewitness account of the life of Jesus on earth, it wants to show us just one thing. Jesus is king not trying to tell us that he is going to become king, he's not trying to say, oh Jesus is a little bit like a king, It's not saying he's going to grow up to have kingly qualities. He may not have at this point any of the royal stuff around him that would make him look at all like a king, but the response of these wise men make it abundantly clear to us that from the second he is born, Jesus Christ is king. And it's not just how it begins, but it's a note that just keeps sounding throughout as you keep reading on. In the next chapter, chapter 3, a man called John the Baptist is announcing the arrival of Jesus, who's now grown up to be a man, and he uses this phrase. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in the next chapter after that, chapter 4, Jesus himself, he's proclaiming his own arrival and he's saying that he's coming and what he's going to do, and he's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then all through the rest of the book, 28 chapters of Matthew, the same phrase constantly on Jesus' lips, coming to teach the people, coming to show people his kingdom, his kingdom of heaven. This is why the wise men came all this way, were drawn, thinking maybe this king of Born in a completely different land to us, could actually have something and be for us. This is why they fell down before him. This is why they felt compelled to worship him and honor him with gifts. Because truly, this man is no ordinary king. This is no king of earth. This is the king of heaven coming to establish his kingdom this is the disruption that is going on. As this new king arrives on the scene, it's not someone trying to make a power grab in Jerusalem or just a reshuffling around of political pieces for the history books that's not really that interesting, but it is the disruption of heaven itself coming down to earth. If I was to ask us in this room, where do we think heaven is? I imagine naturally we'd kind of instinctively respond, oh, it's it's up there. That's what we think that we'd have lots of images in our minds of pearly gates and of clouds and, of course, babies with wings playing harps. That's what we've got spinning around our mind, and we think that's it's somewhere that we hope to go to after this life. But here's what the Bible wants us to see, that heaven itself has already come to earth. That in the birth of this child 2,000 years ago, in this dirty house placed in an animal feeding trough, was placed the king of heaven, coming to bring about his kingdom of heaven on earth that we can enter into today. I'd imagine, and I think most of us, we have lived on this planet long enough to know there is something deeply wrong with the world that we live in uncontrollable global pandemics that cause mass lockdown and and separation from one another and isolation from one another, unjust wars and conflicts breaking out all over the world, constantly filling the headlines, thousands of people dying, millions of people being displaced, political scandals in this country, across the world, corruption, the interest rates rising and rising, inflation spiraling, the poor getting poorer, the rich getting richer. We are living in the time in history where we are, as as humankind, the most advanced we have ever been. And yet it is so clear, isn't it, that we cannot, the world that we can make for ourselves, we cannot move away from overwhelming injustice and pain. I want to ask you, don't you long for a better world than this? Don't you long for something better than what you have already experienced? Don't you long for joy without the pain? Don't you long for peace in your heart that instead of a constant low level anxiety that we can so often live with? Don't you long for contentment that isn't then interrupted by periods of depression? Don't you long for hope that actually lasts? if you can relate to that longing, then what it is that we are longing for, I think history shows us, we are not longing for something that this world can give us. That is a longing within us for the kingdom of heaven. The author, Christian author, C.S. Lewis, who also wrote the Narnia books, once wrote this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If we feel dissatisfied, if we feel a sense of I am out of place in this world and this world does not seem good to me and I don't know where I fit, could it be that we are actually made for another world? This is why Jesus has come. This is why we celebrate Christmas. That as king, Jesus has come with all of the power and all of the authority to disrupt, to break in and come into the normal of our broken world. To establish his kingdom so he can open wide the door for the world that we are made for. And we might enter right in. That he might be able to come And meet our longing by giving us the riches not of this world, but by giving us the riches of heaven. That true and deep peace that you long for in this world of fear, in deep joy that lasts even in the times that are hardest in life. And perhaps more than all of those things, maybe most precious to us at this time, hope. That as we come to Jesus, we actually start to taste the hope of heaven. We start to truly believe that there is something better than this to come. That as much as and as even as we enjoy the riches of heaven that Jesus gives us today and that we get to feast on as we come to Him, we know that is just a taste that one day will become a true feast, that one day his kingdom will come in its fullness and we will get to enjoy all of the riches, that all pain and confusion and dissatisfaction will go in a moment and that we will get to live perfect and complete, satisfied, happy, fulfilled lives with him, with the king, forever. And so I want to urge you, before the busyness of Christmas really takes over, Gets crazy, consumes all of your attention. If you have, even if you can relate even to the the smallest degree to this longing that I'm speaking of, of surely there is something better, surely there is more than what I have found in this world, I want to urge you please don't do what Herod does in this story. King Herod, he just dismisses, rejects, and ignores Jesus as quickly as he possibly can so he can get on with living his own life his way and he really misses out. I want to encourage you, take a journey like these wise men. To think, maybe this could actually be news for me. Take the time to look, to investigate, to seek him out, and maybe even meet him for yourself. You don't have to travel hundreds of miles. You don't even have to go near a camel. You simply turn to him with an openness in your heart. And receive him as he is. I think this is a disruption to our normal Christmas routine and the way that things have always been. I think this is a a disruption that we can embrace. The opportunity to meet the king of heaven. To begin to taste something of heaven. And to find hope for a perfect future in his kingdom forever.